0: this is a rapid fire round if you don't want to answer a question you can just say pass at what age do you want to retire um i don't know in two decades maybe what's your favorite mobile app um google maps probably how long does it take you to get ready in the mornings 10 minutes. Most embarrassing moment of your life? Uh, I don't know. Past them. Mountains or beaches? Uh, beaches. What's the most useful mobile feature you can't live without? Uh, the internet. Favorite color? Blue. What time of day are you most inspired? Early afternoon How many hours of sleep can you survive on? Seven Fill in the blank, an upcoming marketing trend is blank Influencers (laughs) The city in which the best kiss of your life happened? Pass (laughs) Pick one, Android or Apple? Probably Android The biggest mistake of your career? Pass. (laughs) Uh, How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Uh, Three. How do you relax? Mm, By sleeping. A habit of yours that you hate? A habit of mine that I hate. 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 Mm, Working too much. The most valuable skill you've learned in life? Never give up. Cities or countrysides? Uh, Cities. And the last one is your favorite Netflix show? I cannot remember if Black Mirror was on Netflix, I don't think. It is, yeah. Uh, Black Mirror. Well, that's the end of the rapid-fire round. These these other questions are long questions now, and you can answer them with as much ease and time as you like. Uh, The first one is, with the increasing use of AI and machine learning in the telecom industry, What are some new privacy risks that users may face and how can we mitigate them? Right. So, I mean, if I take in general uh, AI, uh, not specifically
1: for telco or not, I would say that there are several uh, challenges that have to do with um, um, attackers trying to kind of reverse engineer your data or your models that are being deployed. And uh, this depends on where the attackers are. If they're in the network, if they're on on the servers, if they're on the user devices, um, and then the types of attacks can be uh, trying to reverse engineer your data, uh, trying to understand what uh, properties the model has. Um, now, what we can do about it is we have these different, uh, let's say, techniques or methods that you can. Uh, 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 modify the model, when you're training these uh, machine learning models, uh, you can, um, let's say, influence the model to not learn exactly uh, the data of the user. And therefore, if an attacker uh, goes uh, to um, try to infer uh, something about uh, the user data, they will not be able to distinguish. They will not be able to understand exactly. Now, uh, as you understand, it's I don't know if we, um, it's always a trade-off between privacy and how good a, mo- a model is. So um, if you are suspecting that uh, your infrastructure or your AI models will be attacked, um, you have to protect them with more severe um, methods, which may have problems with respect to scalability of the models and may have uh, problems of utility, like how good the models
0: are. Uh, So it's always a a trade-off between the two. A balancing act. Yeah. So with the rise of 5G and 6G networks, what are the biggest security and privacy challenges with those? So what I'm expecting is that with
1: 6G, we will be seeing a lot more. uh, So we will have more sensing of uh, uh, the users and the devices that they're using. We will have smart buildings. We will have so many things that are sensing the environment and us as well uh, being inside these environments. And therefore, I'm expecting that um, moving beyond, you know, the, let's say 4G, going 5, 6G, uh, users will need to be definitely much more educated and aware that there is a risk of privacy, right? Uh, Just think about the scenario of you being more easily located. Localized, no? Um, in 6G, there are technologies that will be able to understand where your hands are, you know? We're not talking about like where you are as a person, we're talking about, you know. So um, we are expecting that uh, we will have this type of uh, capabilities, and therefore it increases the challenge of uh, how do you protect this, um, this property of privacy. Um, and What people are suggesting is that we do that at the physical level. So we shouldn't be expecting or we shouldn't wait for the data to be collected and go into some servers or whatever and then analyze. We need to protect the user from the point of view of privacy security at the moment when the data are being created. Um, And that's why we are proposing also various methods that are more Uh, what we call distributed uh, privacy-preserving machine learning methods, um, where you do these things at at the edge or even at the the user device and you try to protect
0: these uh, properties at the source. And in what ways can AI be used to enhance cybersecurity?
1: So one, uh, one way to think about it is that the AI is a powerful, let's say, tool, right? And we can use it to um to protect the user's privacy and the security by detecting such attacks right so in the same way that an attacker can try to attack a model and try to understand if i am here if i'm there and so on uh, i can also have an ai module trying to detect the attacks so it's a very very powerful kind of uh, tool to do uh, you can detect um, anomalies in the network that uh, in the past you know were done with uh, heuristics with manual rules and stuff like that which are very um, uh, rigid they cannot be adapted quickly right so with ai you can uh, of course given the access to proper data to train the models uh, you could build these powerful tools that can detect the attacks can detect novel attacks when there are some anomalies um, so there is this uh, duality of, of the thing. It's not just you know bringing, let's say, bad things, right? It also brings this power power to to the both
0: the users and the providers. So and how about blockchain? The emergence of blockchain technology has been hailed as a potential solution to data privacy concerns. Uh, how do you see blockchain being used in the telecom industry to protect users' privacy? Um, so the way I see, the, I, I see blockchain is. Uh,
1: as I mean, in blockchain technologies, let's say you're having some sort of distributed ledger that tries to keep tabs of things, uh, access to data or something like that. Now, the way I could see it being used is uh, having some sort of blockchain technology that allows a couple of things. One is um, uh, keeping track of who is accessing my data, uh, who is trying to share my data, um, uh, this is done through these decentralized kind of uh, ledgers that have these immutable records so nobody can modify them so if you decided to access my data i will know i will be able to know um, also you can use blockchain technology uh, but there is this concept of smart contracts and all these things that i just mentioned earlier can be dictated by smart contracts so there are these let's say tools, this automation methods that uh, blockchain technologies can offer um, and the smart contracts then you can audit them you can check down the road for example you know governmental um, agencies they want to access my data um, I will be able to audit who access them when why so there are records right um, and nobody can touch them
0: at least that's in theory <laughs> So, as telecom companies roll out new five G in- infrastructure, what challenges do they face in terms of deployment and scaling, and how do they face them? Well, um, I, uh, what I see is that um, we have this,
1: uh, for example, for six G, right? Five six G, we will be seeing um, a much larger scale of a uh, necessity of uh, of large scale um, infrastructure, right? Uh, we, I mentioned earlier about the sensing, all these things, that requires infrastructure. Um, what does that mean is that you need also some way to manage to, to these resources, no? Um, and if you don't uh, have some sort of automated way to do that, um, you're going to fail, right? So AI can help you basically solve this challenge that uh, comes with, with uh, going into 6G. Um, cybersecurity wise, again, I mentioned earlier that um, whatever challenge comes with, you can sort of solve with AI. Um, We also have this opportunity for uh, like uh, doing the, um, uh, what we call uh, resource uh, management, uh, um, reallocation of, uh, let's say, bandwidth or of uh, network infrastructure, uh, because you can use it as a service. Uh, we have this concept program with Telefonica Networks as a service. Um, there will be in the future a security as a service. Uh, there will be all these concepts of um, uh, providers that could be for markets. It could be for um, for infrastructure. So all these things can uh, allow not only the telco player, but other uh, industries to capitalize on AI. And solve at the same time these kind of challenges. And yeah, last thing, um, there is a concept that we call software-defined networks that has been around for a while. Of course, is the way of um, uh, abstracting the network as a software and kind of mix and match type of components that you need uh, based on the um, the expected uh, utilization. So, for example, we are in Mobile World Congress now. Um, this doesn't happen often it happens only once a year so that means that uh, during this week you need much more infrastructure closed to support you know hundreds of thousands of people uh, being so uh, either you're going to deploy manually a bunch of antennas and all these things that need to support uh, the users or you're going to um, abstract the, the, the infrastructure at the software level and shift around. Um, uh, resources to support these users, um, and this kind of that I said for the World Congress, but the
0: kind of vision for any type of uh, uh, activity uh, in the future. And so, uh, how have you addressed issues of bias and fairness in your work on data mining and machine learning on large-scale data? Can you describe a specific example of how you mitigated bias in your models? So um,
1: this is actually an area that I'm entering now with uh, some colleagues. Um, I know that we have this uh, ongoing research on uh, understanding uh, fairness and bias with respect to different uh, pipelines that are happening in Telefonica. Um, but beyond Telefonica, I think there is this uh, concerted effort by the research to the research community to um, invent new methods uh, that allow you to train a machine learning model that is more fair and less biased. Um, The way usually to do that is to make sure that either your data is uh, not biased, which means that you need to have some sort of balanced set of data across all your labels, across all your properties, um, or if that is not possible because of the data collection process, um, to counter balance this in the learning, in the model training. So to give you an example, if you are, uh, trying to collect data, census data, right in across Spain. Right. But there are some areas that are very difficult to reach, right? There are, so those areas may end up being underrepresented in the data set, right? Now, if you have an expectation that this is going to happen and you, uh, can anticipate for it you can also plan some sort of uh, um, uh, weight uh, to counteract it inside the learning, right? And we are examining all these different methods to make sure that whatever model we build on uh, user data or, or, or um, infrastructure data are representative, are uh, unbiased, are, you know, they have this balance
0: across uh, labels and so on. Uh, the next one is about. Uh, can you discuss your research on streaming graph analysis? Uh, what are some of the key challenges in analyzing graphs in real time, and how have you addressed them? Yeah, so this one is definitely some work I did in the past, and
1: I would say that um, the big challenge with uh, um, processing or, or learning uh, on big graphs is uh, well, it, it two two issues. One is the scale. And one is the dynamicity of the graphs. So when you're talking about, for example, uh, social graphs, um, if you want to analyze the, the, the actual, the real time graphs, these are constantly changing. Uh, an example of a social graph is uh, friendships. So the Facebook graph, for example, people are becoming friends or unfriend each other all the time. Right now, if you want to study this type of graph, And have an up-to-date set of metrics, like who is the most central in the network, or give me the top one thousand central uh, users. And this may be changing uh, constantly. So uh, your uh, methods, your uh, graph analysis methods, need to be able to adapt to this uh, um, uh, this uh, um, property. then you also have the problem of size, right? If you're talking about like a big graph, like the Facebook graph is a few billion uh, uh, users graph, um, you may not be able to fit it inside one machine, right? Uh, you need a supercomputer to actually fit it. So you need to come up with uh, clever ways to uh, process maybe portion of the time, portion of the graph at each time, and perform computations to make it uh, possible. Um, so, to back to your question, in the past we worked on some, um, let's say, difficult uh, centrality metrics, and we invented some methods on how to compute and recompute these metrics at almost real time um, while the graph is changing. And this, this was the challenge. Like, how do you find uh, a way? I don't need to maybe mention too much uh, in,
0: in detail, but yeah. Okay. Uh, and. Uh... How do you approach workload analysis on distributed stream processing engines? Can you describe a specific example of how you optimise the performance of a system under heavy load? Yeah, so we did this work, it's been also a few years. Uh, the idea is
1: to, to, first of all, to accept the fact that in heavy workloads, um, not all the, um, the data are coming in at the same time, in the same rate, you know? so there are some uh, data that are more popular than others. Uh, For example, if you look at um, Mobile World Congress uh, at the moment on Twitter, it's gonna be much more uh, popular as a keyword or or hashtag than, um, I don't know, a random village in Catalonia, right? They're both kind of happening in Catalonia, but one is much more popular. Now, if you want to process and do some sort of uh, uh, computations and processing on these specific hashtags, um, one of them will be much more popular. So that means that you need much more uh, computing power to do it. So some work we did there was to find a clever way to uh, redirect, let's say, the, um, the incoming uh, flow of, of traffic coming for specific uh, keys or wor- uh, keywords that are very, very popular. Uh, and distributed across many machines, right? So the scenario there was that if you have this type of unbalanced type of uh, dataset and you need to process it at real time, uh, how do you do that without killing, you know, specific machines because they're just getting all the load? So there was this um, scaling and
0: rescaling type of uh, technique. Okay, Uh, and the Kind of overarching question is, what are some of the most exciting research questions or areas of inquiry in your field right now? Well, I mean, uh, it, it depends if we talk about the computer science in general or if we talk about my field.
1: Um, I think in my field, uh, I'm focusing on security and privacy in uh, in AI and the web. Uh, we have these um, uh, techniques for privacy preserving machine learning. We are looking to federated learning. So I'm doing a lot of work. On that, And I think it's uh, one of the very, very promising ways to um, to train uh, AI models uh, at the edge, uh, the user's devices and so on. Um, there are, of course, uh, the things that I mentioned in the very, very beginning, uh, adversarial attacks and how do you detect them, how do you protect the users from this type of attacks. Um, then there is, if I kind of step uh, away from the security and privacy, I think there is the... The general concept of uh, quantum computing, uh, which is becoming more and more of a reality. Uh, people are, are looking into it much more. Um, as well as something that's also relevant to uh, 6G, which uh, has to do with uh, uh, coming up with uh, uh, ways to uh, communicate uh, between point to point uh, in a very, very fast way. We are talking about reaching teraher- uh, terabit type of uh, speeds. Um, There were some reports recently from China, I think, that they achieved it, but uh, we're talking about having it in um, a production level. Uh, We're still experimental. Um, So figuring out how to do this high bandwidth and uh, low latency type of communications. Um, And uh, also the infrastructure point of view, so edge to cloud and how do you move uh, computation from the edge to the cloud and, and back and forth. So we actually have some projects that are, uh, um, let's say, focusing on, on figuring out that because the 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 traditional way so far was, okay, let me collect everything to the cloud, computer there, and then maybe I'll, I'll, I'll send to, to the devices. But uh, people discovered that you cannot do that. It is not scalable. So let me push something back to the edge. So there is this edge to cloud type of, um, a new way of thinking no and that means there is a lot of uh, research to be done at the edge to understand what we can do uh, how we can optimize the training of the models Uh, there is a lot of work to be done how to optimize uh, uh, a computation of the cloud and this uh, moving back
0: and forth right to to um, uh, orchestrate with this workflow okay so the last question is more of a personal kind What would you be doing in your life if not this right now? Um, Probably
1: singing and uh, dancing.